They're prominent, they're successful, and some are more than a little controversial. They're real South Africans on face-to-face with success. Brought to you by real people with real solutions. Nashua, saving you time, saving you money, putting you first. It's fitting, I suppose, that Maria McCloy and I meet in Johannesburg's bustling and creative city centre. This is where she's made her mark. For the past four years, she's run a highly successful clothing and accessory store at Market on Main in the Maboneng district. On Sundays, shoppers practically mob her store, dying to get their hands on her clutch bags, shoes and jewellery, all made in bold, colourful and beautiful African prints. Why copy Europe or America when we have all this amazingness here that we not only need to use, using it also preserves it. We must not lose that and just become lost in this like beigeness of the rest of the world, all wearing the same things that are all made in Asia, no identity. Um, I wish you could land in South Africa and know where you are from the way we dress, like in India and Nigeria. Because we have amazing cultures here that have been downgraded because of apartheid and colonialism. So my brand is about like elevating it, or not even consciously elevating it. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to wear like an amazing Kosa thing or a Venda thing or a Tonga thing. So amazing. Why would you go to just a normal high street brand from anywhere in the world when we have all of this? Incorporate some of that in yourself and you can do that with my shoes and bags. Maria believes that her roots and upbringing have informed much of her style and passport to the world of fashion. I think I was born in fashion and accessories, actually. I'm quite convinced. If I look at pictures of myself when I was little, my aesthetic's not that different. (laughs) So I have this picture of my parents. My mom's from Lesotho and my dad's from England, and we were on holiday mountain climbing in England at that point, and I was wearing, like, a poncho made out of a blanket. A, a traditional sort of blanket, like a Santa Marana blanket. So I'm like, people are like, damn, you're already a fashionista when I posted that on on, on um, Facebook. And then I remember when I, my dad took me to buy my first watch, I had to take off all my bangles, which is pretty much how I look today. So I think I always had that interest. And um, speaking of my parents, my yeah, like I said, my dad's English, my mom's from Lesotho, and I was born in England, and my dad's work took us around the continent. So Nigeria, Sudan, Mozambique, Lesotho, and then I came to boarding school here when I was 12 in 1989. And I always had friends from all over the continent. So I think all of that, I was exposed to their cultures, but also all the cloth and beadwork and different people from everywhere, Indian friends, Liberian friends, American friends, exposed to that music, different cultures. Um, so it was normal for me to always kind of have it in me. Like my mother had a big stack of cloth that she'd collected from their travels and then I would have a little cloth that I wore around my waist. And So it was never a trend thing, you know, or I'd be into shopping with my English grandmother when we went to England, like, ooh, I love that. Or um, go to the market in Mozambique with my mom. And she said even in Nigeria when you're a baby, your favorite place was the market. Same as now. So... I think that's always who I was, and you would always see it. If I look at campus pictures of me, I would have some hat my dad bought from Ivory Coast and my graduation pictures, I'm shaven-headed in a black suit, but have some Kenyan bangles on. So for me, that was always me, and it was a natural transition. From her childhood days wearing funky ponchos and scouring markets around the continent for bargains, it would be a while before she decided to go into the world of fashion full-time. Maria first came to South Africans' attention through the world of media. She and two friends started a media company while they were still students at Rhodes University. Rage was a breath of fresh air. 
At that point, uh, 1995, South Africa, we looked around us, we saw media, we wanted to be in media, but the only media that kind of spoke to us was like Vibe magazine and The Source. We were always like going to that Grocourt shop and wanting to buy those American magazines. And we were like, hang on, why isn't there media like this for young uh, black South Africans, young urban South Africans? We have an amazing culture springing up, you know. We were excited about Boomshaka and Tebe. There was a hip-hop movement on campus. Um, there was house DJs, there was quite the DJs, you know, people who are our friends now. Well, there was a there was an amazing urban culture movement happening because that's what the freedom of the end of apartheid had a great mood and also it enabled young black people to have studios and start the Kwaito movement and be free and start marketing their stuff and have Kwaito bashes at campuses all over the country. We were inspired by this, but was there media covering this? No. Was there media that acknowledged young black people were a thing, were a viable market? No. So we're like, we want to start a magazine like Vibe. We want to make TV shows about this movement. So uh, 18-year-old selves did exactly that. We started a company called Black Rage Productions that ended in 2009. Um, so we came to Johannesburg. We worked in radio. We worked in TV. We worked in making TV shows. We had an urban culture website called rage.co.za. We had a TV show that was the TV version of that website called Street Journal. We worked for like we worked for Trace. We worked for Channel O. We were there when Channel O were formed. We did a number of documentaries, and it was all about. Um, covering South African urban culture from poetry to art to rock to hip hop to um, Kwaito of course to house to like alternative movements we did that in all the media we were doing and then we had a record label of our own called Outrageous Records which is kind of credited as the first there were people that released hip hop before but a label in itself um, us three we created a label and we released a number of hip hop compilations and hip hop albums mm -hmm. so that's what we're doing and people kind of credit us with changing the media landscape. Mm -hmm. Even today, I still meet young people who look up to us because mm -hmm. I guess we didn't think we were being revolutionary. Yes. We were just being us. We were making media for us, by us. to success is of course never a linear one. Content creators like Rage were struck a devastating blow by the public broadcaster's financial troubles. Rage had to shut its doors in 2009 after a very successful run. Maria then reincarnated herself as a publicist and also went back to her first love of fashion. I went home to Lesotho. I met a guy in Tate, David Maguire. He was making these beautiful earrings, but I was like, I love them, but you must triple them for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not that small earring chick. And he's like, Else your ear is going to fall off. And I was like, make it bigger. And then I came home. This is about 2008. Came home to Joburg. And I was sitting with Mukhadi Tsuing. She has a company called uh, Lorcha. And she's friends with Kensani from Stone Cherry. Of course, I knew Kensani from Stone Cherry because I used to write about them. Such a pioneering, amazing label. Um, ahead of their time. And she's like, I want to buy five of those earrings off you right now, mm -hmm. and I want Kensani to stock them. So I was like, oh, okay. Next thing, the, the earrings are in True Love. Palissa from Mansu's using it. Um, Sun Goddess started using it and stocking them. Marianne Fassler had the earrings on a show once, and also on set. But this is how like the, my life is symbiotic. Like Lira would be on set, or Tanta from Mafikizolo, or Tendiswa, whoever, Zaki Ibrahim, all these people in my life also buying earrings. All the hot girls in town are buying earrings. I'm at Fashion Week, so... I'm in Fashion Week reporting on it, but now I'm also in the fashion world. <laughs> so then I started, because of this interest, I started uh, actually in Newtown. So I've come full circle. I started selling at this uh, craft market at the bus factory, 2008. Mm -hmm. 
that's when I started. And I came there with just my earrings, mm-hmm. and I made like a thousand rand, not bad. Do you like, not bad. Okay. <laughs> and then I started doing that every every week, every week. And then I, from there, I, a slightly different market. I started selling at this more hipster market in Greenside. They were just a vintage market. I was also selling vintage. It was my other passion. I found so many vintage bags and clothes that I had to start selling. So again, the same pattern: start selling to my staff, start selling to my friends. In the end, when Rage closed. Before I went to MTV, I knew everyone at MTV because I had been there with a, like a machina bag of vintage clothes, and I sold it to staff there. And I went to Marie Claire and Elle with a bag of vintage clothes, and I sold to staff there. And then when Jacques and Bradley, Jacques from Black Coffee and Bradley from Love Josie, were like, we're starting a market at Maboneng, that was a great move for me because they're like, this is 2011. They're like, now you have a weekly space, so that allowed me to ex- so very organic. So 2011, I started selling every week Maboneng, amazing complex. I'm so happy to be in the inner city. All of my work is done in the inner city, like all my makers, all my inspiration, all inner city. So it was nice also to be selling in the inner city. And that's also when I started producing my own bag. So I was working at MTV, selling every weekend, um, but selling the earrings and vintage clothes. And that year came another kind of crossing of my worlds. I did publicity on this movie called... Um, Viva Riva, mm-hmm. a Congolese movie. So I was like, what am I going to give media? And I was like, I know, I'm going to give them a clutch bag. So that's putting my love of clutches, working on a publicity project, my love of African print. I found a supplier. Here's the first kind of, aside from the earrings, the first product, mm-hmm. African print clutch. Yes. That was 2011. Which we love. <laughs> we loved. And now African print is everywhere. I love using the and the, on the bags and the shoes, vendor material, uh, West African material, East African material. But at that point, like now, if you go to Maboneng, all the other stalls have it, and it's all on the pavement, sellers, and it's everywhere. At that point, I was very much the first one with the bag. So I'm like, nice. I was happy to started a kind of media trend, and now started another it's an kind of... It's of sort, isn't it? Yes, and that's mm. what the... When you ask how the brand is going, mm. I'm so happy. So I evolved again in the end of last year, 2015. Um, workshop Newtown started. Mm. Amazing new complex in Newtown. Like I said, the more inner city spots, the better. I mean, I would want to move away from this conception, like, oh, we're bringing business back to town, mm. etc. Because, mm. man, when I walk through the Carlton Centre and Small Street, I'm like... People are making money here. There's this concept. that has never left. Yeah. But now these new Maboneng and, mm. and Workshop Newtown, I guess they're like wanting to bring the kind of people who have only like limited themselves to Santon yes. and Parkhurst. And that's great because the city's amazing. There's an amazing energy here. Yeah. Newtown, as we were saying, has such an interesting history. There's the market theater. There's Kippies. Mm. I mean, there's a city lodge behind the Workshop Newtown. Mm-hmm. There's Baseline. Um, there's Museum Africa. It's a wonderful complex. And now I get the chance to sell every day. And the rest, as they say, is history. Maria McCloy is now looking at expanding the business beyond our borders, but admits that an investor is needed to take the brand to the next level. Just do it. Don't wait till you have funding or like that. Whatever you're trying to do, just do it. Because if we were just 19-year-old kids doing Black Rage Productions at Rhodes, we had our degrees and we had supportive parents who could back us up. So I don't take that for granted. Not everyone has those like degrees or a safety net or and the finances of a parent of our parents, which all three of us were lucky to have. But we just went for it. We didn't think about what if or what's wrong and in my whole life, even twenty years later I would like to and I think I still do, maintain like what can I do with what I've got. And if you wait for like I need funding, I've met mm. people like they just want to make some pillows and they're like they're waiting for the right moment. Mm. I'm like just make five pillows and sell them at your office. Mm. Make that honey or like 
you know, body scrubs or whatever. Don't wait for the right moment and the big investor. It probably isn't going to come. You become your own investor. You have to. And then after that, maybe the investor can now see you like, okay, Maria's serious now. There's men's shoes. She has a plan for women's. Maybe now I can put some money in. Two years ago, I didn't have those things in place. I just worked how I could with what I had around me. And also, it's never just about you, right? Um, like, people misuse the word Ubuntu, right? It's about the people around you and who you know. And I'll never take that. Um, I, I take so much advice from people around me. And how those people also lead me into onto new projects. Like I'm a baby in fashion. I will always like I will never be haughty and pretend I know everything. Um, I take advice from like Millie, who was who who used to be more in the fashion world. Philippe Mazibuko, Marianne Fassler, Tula Cindy. Um, people in business when they come up to you, like humble yourself, listen to them, and also use your networks. Whatever yeah. they're just going to a party people like you out so much I'm like yeah I'm forever a street kid but that's my networking yeah. you won't believe the things I heard at the bar on the dance floor when <laughs> someone's like you're out with another friend and that friend is the one who actually is like you know what there's a factory somewhere where mm-hmm. you can do that mm-hmm. think about your networks your people your support structures they're prominent they're successful and some are more than a little controversial they're real South Africans on face to face with success Brought to you by real people with real solutions. Nashua, saving you time, saving you money, putting you first. Find more real success stories at thesolutionslab.co.za.